Welcome to the Centro Church Podcast. To find out more about Centro Church, please visit us at centrochurch.com.au or download our smartphone app today. You know, one of the most um, amazing things that strikes me about the person of Jesus Christ is that you have what has been touted as the greatest religious leader of all time. Yet when he came to this earth 2,000 years ago, uh, religious people didn't particularly like him. They didn't hang around him. Um, those who were least comfortable at the temple, right? Those who didn't like the way the temple made them feel. Uh, they didn't like what the, they felt the temple said about them. Uh, they weren't comfortable at the temple at all, but they were comfortable with Jesus. Think about that for a moment. And those who were most comfortable at the temple, those who... They felt the temple said, well, okay, the temple made them feel good. Yet the funny thing was, Jesus didn't seem to wash with them. He didn't seem to connect with them. Wherever Jesus went, he seemed to draw a crowd. A challenge to you would be to go through the gospel of Mark and you'll see in every chapter a crowd. Jesus draws crowds wherever he goes. I want to suggest you a big idea this morning that I want to unpack and explain. So I really need you to listen in and and, and embrace this challenge this morning. That the church is collectively what Jesus was personally. What Jesus was individually, we are collectively. Because we are defined as the body of Christ on the earth. And there was something about Jesus that irreligious people found irresistible. But there was something about Jesus that, well, I guess the religious people kind of didn't warm them, but there was something that was irresistible about Jesus that drew people wherever he happened to go. Now, I want to define what one of those things are this morning, and I want to challenge you and myself to try to embrace this. When I tell you what this is, most of you will go, oh, is that all? What I'm about to tell you is far deeper, far more profound, far significant, more significant than you will understand when I first put this to you. Um, Can we fix that noise a bit there, mate? I know you're working hard. Uh, I'm going to give you the challenge up front, and then I'm going to drop into a story of Jesus. We'll work through the story, and we'll we'll find it, we'll unpack it as, as we move. But I want to suggest to you one of the reasons why Jesus was so irresistible to the irreligious was this. Jesus used different adjectives than we use. (laughs) And everybody said, oh, powerful, amen. (laughs) Jesus used different adjectives. Now, before you dismiss that and go, what does that matter? Uh, I'm going to suggest that this matters a huge amount that when you choose certain adjectives they actually affect your emotions and at those cross uh, roads of life in those really important moments they actually define your emotions and we're going to see that this morning as we work through this story Jesus categorized people differently to the way you and I categorize people he used different words that would describe them okay so we're going to drop into a story 
We're going to see how profound this is. And then I'm going to just challenge you with a few little things this morning as, uh, as we come to the end of this section of our meeting. But Luke chapter 15 verse 1 is a passage that many of you would be very familiar with. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. So there's the idea that people found him irresistible. Tax collectors, right, they were the lowest of the low. Uh, they were considered as people who had committed treason against the nation. And sinners, right, so tax collectors had their own category of sinners and then sinners was just all the riffraff, all the rabble. These were categories, adjectives that described them. And these were the adjectives of the day. These were the way that people described this group of tax collectors and sinners. But the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, muttered. That's a good word, isn't it? Who lives with somebody who mutters? How many think we should mutter more often? <laughs> they muttered. Did you get that? I was trying to just get you into the feel of it. I'll say it again in case you missed it. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's what they muttered. He, he embraces the roof raff. Um, the religious leaders, they're, they're listening to Jesus as well. They can't get close to him because of the sense in which those irreligious people found him uh, resistible. I want to just put a thought out there with you. Maybe some of you can think about this for a moment. Some people work off the notion, right, that church is for churched. And of course, they've categorized people into church and unchurched. I'm going to suggest to you that that's a category that Jesus never would have embraced. Jesus did not embrace categories of people like you and I embrace categories of people and the effects are profound and uh, we're going to see that as Jesus starts to tell three stories you'll see how the adjectives crept into the spirit of the people and and then manifest in a profound way at a really important moment Jesus tells three stories and you know them all pretty well and you know, everybody in this room probably has heard of the last story. It's about a, a prodigal son. And whether you're a church person or not, you've probably heard of the prodigal son. But let me give you the stories because I'm making a different point than maybe you'd think out of this particular passage of Scripture. And so he tells the first story. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 of the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, everybody who was there understood the concept of shepherds, right? And they got, the, they got the idea, which you and I, perhaps, it's lost on us. The gravitas of this is lost on us because we think, well, if you've got 100 sheep, you lose one. What does it matter? You know, they'll get together and they'll create a few more. It won't matter, right? But that's not how they saw it. A shepherd in those days loved their sheep and if it was 99, would leave the 99 and go for the one. He goes on and says, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and goes home then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me for i have found the lost sheep now maybe some of them chuckled maybe there's a bit of um you know uh, exaggeration in that to make a point i don't know i don't know whether a shepherd would have actually done that you know found the lost sheep brought it back and then put on a party but jesus is making a point and his point is a, is a emotion 
that lostness brings to your heart and, and the way that you feel about what you have still in, um, in your hand. For example, um, imagine, you know, that uh, Amy rings Brett and says, Brett, I've lost my wedding ring and my engagement ring. But the good news is I still have my mobile phone. <laughs> How many know right at that moment, there's little emotion. I know you've got the phone because you're ringing me, you idiot, right? How many know, not that he would say that, but, but how many know there's little emotion around what is found? And if you've lost something that's of a value to you, there is incredible emotion around that. I don't know how many of you in this room, and uh, maybe I'll get you to raise your hand, I'm not sure. How many parents in this room or grandparents have ever lost a child or a grandchild? Let me see your hands. You've ever lost a child or grandchild? Yeah, I figured, hey, ignorant lot. Uh, no, I can't. We, we actually have gone home and left one of our kids at church. <laughs> Francine thought I had her and I thought she had her. We got home. Have you got her? No, have you got her? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, you know, I can't cast any aspersions over any of you. But it wasn't that long ago. Uh, I was on the Sunshine Coast and I was, um, I was given the job of looking after my granddaughter that was at a, during the women's conference and I had Indy and uh, Rose with me and, uh, and I, I took her to this little park thing there where there was all these little statues and, and they sold food and I went to buy some food, you know, and she saw the statue down one thing and she's gone off chasing this statue while I've gone and bought something at the counter. And I've turned around expecting her to be there and she wasn't there. Now, you know, it's not good when you lose your own child, but when it's your grandkid, it's not your kid, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I look around and, oh, she's not there. And I think, oh, she must just be around the corner. She so got around the corner. Oh, my goodness, she's not there. And how many know, you, you know this, mum or, or granddad, you know, it's sort of, it starts down in here <laughs> and then it comes up and it comes up. Indy, Indy, Indy! <laughs> right? Now, it, you get to a point where all of a sudden, you don't give a rip about what anybody thinks of you. <laughs> You're concerned about one thing, right? The grandkid that you have been assigned to look after, right? This precious cargo, <laughs> you've lost it. Your life is over now. Let me know what I'm talking about, right? No point going home to wife now, is there, right? Just get in your car and keep driving. <laughs> life is finished. Anyway, so you, know, it, you all get the picture she turned up or we wouldn't be standing here today. <laughs> we didn't find her. <laughs> but could you imagine, could you imagine, I, I, I ring my wife, I ring my wife and say, sweetheart, darling, precious. <laughs> What's wrong? Oh, well, no, the good, let me, there's bad news and the good news. Let me start with the good news. The good news is, Mila's at home. We haven't lost her. <laughs> The bad news, I don't know where India is. <laughs> how, many, how many know that right at that point of time, we can't say, well, well, they're young enough, they can have another kid. You know what I mean? <laughs> how many know that, that doesn't wash, right? How many know right at this particular point of time, what matters, and this is the point, and this is what you've got to, got to get, what matters is what's lost what is found what the whereabouts of is known 
has no emotional effect on you whatsoever. Then Jesus tells this next verse, which is offensive to everybody. Now, now let me just fill you in here, right? So he's got tax collectors, sinners, and Pharisees. Yeah, he's got the irreligious, they're all there. And they've all just agreed on something, and they don't agree, and they hate each other. Right? One group thinks God loves them, the other group thinks God hates them, and everybody's pretty happy with that. God loves us, he thinks we're better than you. Well, we don't give a rip what you think. God hates us and we don't care, right? So that's kind of where it's at. And, and, but Jesus just got them to agree on something, and he's never, they've never agreed on anything, but that's the power of a story. His story transcends the mind and it grips the emotion. He's told this incredibly gripping story, and they've all gone, oh, he found the, the lost sheep. He's, yes. They've all agreed. And, and you, could just, you could just see some Pharisee going, oh, that riffraff's agreed with me. This is dreadful. <laughs> we don't agree with them about anything. But then Jesus says something they all find offensive. He says this, I tell you the same, uh, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous uh, persons who do not need to repent. They both found that offensive because the righteous, right, those who felt good in the temple, felt God loved them. Thought God was thinking about them all the time. Thought it's all about us. And of course, the, the irreligious, those who wouldn't go to the temple because the temple made them feel so condemned, felt that's what God thought about them. God doesn't like us. And yet Jesus just said, God actually rejoices more when one of you comes home than over all you lot who are here all the time. And they were that was like, what? And so he's just put them all offside. But he's the master communicator. I just love watching the way this guy, the way Jesus teaches. It's so profound. Because then he goes straight into a story and he sees a woman. And she's, she's as shocked as everybody. But he grabs her back and he says, there was a woman who had 10 coins. Now, it's not 10 coins like you and I might have 10, you know, dollar coins or whatever in your purse. You lose one and you find them, you know, it doesn't matter. You've still got nine. Um, one of the theories around this is that these 10 coins was a, was a dowry and you hung them out and there was 10 and if a man saw those 10 coins well it was kind of like you know you get me and the coins so it was was not just a you know oh well a coin you know what does it matter it, it was a big deal you didn't leave home with without them and everybody got that and and and, and she'd lost one of these coins and she searches and and even the men understand this the men understand you don't leave home if you've lost one of these coins you don't leave home and she pulled the place apart until she found, pulled the bedroom apart, pulled the car apart, whatever, until she finally found the coin uh, that she was looking for. And when she did, she rejoiced. And then he goes into the story that's going to bring home the bacon, it's going to bring home the point in the prodigal son, the story that we all know so well. And, and the boy, you know, in the story, and you know the story, but I'm going to give you some of the details. You read it when you get home, Luke 15. The boy comes into the father, and he says to the father, Father, um, half of your estate belongs to me when you die, right? Well, you're taking a long time to die. <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, can you be dead now? You're dead to me, Dad. You're dead to me. I want my inheritance and I want it now. I want it all and I want it now. And so the father who loved the son and wanted him, decided the quickest way to get his son was to give him what he wanted he had a big picture plan here he knew that this wasn't going to go well but he knew it was the only way to get his son back and so he 
whatever he does sells properties we don't know and the story doesn't particularly tell us how but he liquidates and he gives the son his inheritance and this said to the group who were hearing the same as what it says to you and that's that this relationship was broken long ago you don't get to this point where your son says to you to the father you're dead to me unless the, there is disconnection and, and that kid that young fellow turned up at the you know maybe at the tea table with his earphones in that that young fellow never communicated to his parents maybe he grunted was about all they ever got out of him but this is a fractured relationship that culminates in this you're dead to me i want my stuff i'm out of here and, and, and he gets his things and, and he, he goes off and we don't know the whole story. You know, he gets a, a high-rise unit in the middle of some big city, you know, probably uh, gets his Tinder account working or something, you know, buys himself a convertible, got this really nice plush unit with this great aspect that looks straight down Main Street of wherever he's living. And, and he wastes all of the money. And remarkably, he wastes the money that the father spent a lifetime, maybe two, we don't know, maybe he inherited it from his father maybe two lifetimes he might be the third person to to uh have his hands on that wealth but he wastes it in a very very short space of time and he asks himself a profound question because he starts missing home and, and he asks himself i wonder if home is missing me like i'm missing home i wonder if home is missing me like I am missing home. And he concludes, nah, nah, that won't be the case. I wonder if I could be a servant. Because even servants get treated better than I'm being treated right now by life. And so I wonder if I could go back and if I could ask my dad if he'd take me on as a, as a servant. And I just put out to you, here's a thought. I just put out to you that I reckon there's people, I don't know, maybe, maybe even here, but if not here, certainly out there. Maybe in the LGBTI community. And I don't know whether God categorizes people as LGBTI. I don't know where that category comes from. I don't know that it comes from God. Maybe in the Islamic community. Or maybe just in the people who live next door to you. I wonder if they ever think that. I wonder if they ever think, I wonder if God misses me. I wonder if God would connect. No, no, God wouldn't like me. No, no, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. I, I, I wonder, I, I heard a guy talking to a, 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 um, a guy who was a Christian, he became an atheist, and he said to him, he said, do you ever pray to the God you don't believe in? He said, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Even atheists pray sometimes. And I wonder, if, I wonder if there's a group of people that ever asked themselves the same question that this prodigal son would have asked, and that's, oh, I wonder if home's missing me. Because I'm missing them. The Pharisees would say, God is not missing them. God is disgusted by them. God is annoyed by them. God is, is angry at them because look at what you're doing. Look at your behavior. Look at what you're involved with. God is angry with you. God isn't missing you. See, they had categories. They had the categories, and we, we have the categories, don't we? The categories of those who are my people and those who are not my people, and you have your people. 
oh, you have your people. I have my people. That's the way of life. That's the kind of person I, I can connect with. And then there are those who are not my people. And those who are not my people, I'll be polite to after the service. I might shake their hand. I might give them a smile or a thumbs up, you know. <laughs> I might pat them on the back. I might even, because I'm a godly man, I might even minister to them. <laughs> I might pray for them. might reach out to them, you know, those down on their luck, you know. But I ain't going on holidays with them, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't want them in my, my world, you know what I'm saying, because they ain't my people. And this group, they had those on the in, those on the out. We have it, the old, the young, the rich, the poor, the progressives, the conservatives, the labor, the liberal, the cockroaches, the cane toads, right? <laughs> my people we go to sporting events and we look for the people who are in our colors because that's my tribe you have your tribe my friend i have my tribe and that ain't changing that's not changing i'm not suggesting that it should what i'm suggesting is for once in your life be aware of the adjectives you use to categorize people because it makes a huge difference the sinners the tax collectors the religious the ceremonially clean this is a big one and the ceremonially unclean that's how they saw the world those who were clean to come to the temple and those you keep away from the temple remember i said before that categories are really important because inevitably they control your emotions and you're an emotional being See, you do what you want to do, not based on up here, but based on in here. You are driven by your emotions. We all are. And ultimately, the categories you use will drive your emotions. Let me show you how. But while he got up and went to the father, but while he was still a long way off. So the son's coming back to the father, right? He's decided, okay, you know, I've, he's been feeding pigs. <laughs> now, I can't communicate that to you in terms of the gravity that it meant to that audience, this Jewish group. Pigs were unclean pigs. They didn't have pigs, you know. Remember we had the Bethlehem, some of you will remember, we did a Bethlehem town back here many years ago. We had these animals and things and, and someone came and complained to me because we had a pig in the animal cage because they said there was no pigs in Bethlehem. And they were right, they were right. But Adam Price liked bacon too much. So, uh, you know, he said, okay, ain't quite Bethlehem. Let's just sit, let's do that. So they, they'd been with, they'd, this guy had been with pigs. So he was ceremonially unclean. They'd keep him out, right? He's got to be outside. Like, uh, I remember once upon a time, years ago, having a game of football, playing it on a field that had a, um, had a sewage pipe underneath the field explode. And so we were playing in raw sewage. <laughs> and guess what? When I got home, right? <laughs> outside, buddy. <laughs> right? my, my mother hosed my outside and hosed my clothes outside, right? That's kind of pigs, right? That's how the Jews... Imagine your son comes home having played on an open sewage football field. That's kind of how it, how it, how it works. You, know, you don't play with pigs, but this guy had played with pigs. Okay, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. We got it up there? Oh, we haven't. Have we got the verse up there? Okay, his father saw him and was filled with... Ah, well, the right now it depends on the adjectives you use. 
I'll tell you what, to the religious people listening, he would have been filled with anger, filled with righteous indignation, brother. <laughs> how dare you behave? Do you know how you've made your mother feel? Do you know what you've done to the reputation of our family? Have you any idea how much sleep we've lost over the last three months or however long, three years, however long it's been? You don't think the father knew where, I reckon the father knew where he was the whole time. How many know, how many know people love to give you bad news? Have you heard about your son? Oh, look, don't give, I don't want to hear about it anymore. Have you heard what your son's been up to? Shut up, I don't want to hear it anymore. But how many know there's enough people who love to tell you the bad news, right? I'm sure he knew where he was the whole time. But right now, here he comes and Jesus is about to describe what he was filled with. And I'm telling you, what he was filled with will be defined by the categories or the adjectives that, that, who, that people use to describe groups, to describe individuals. And Jesus is about to blow them all off their bikes. In fact, if there was a guy riding past right now on a push bike and this was Jesus was teaching you, the Pharisees and the sinners, what he's about to say, that guy would get sucked in the vortex. You might go, oh, dreadful, dreadful. Don't ever say that again, Jesus. Because Jesus said he was filled with compassion. He was filled with love. And he ran to the sun. He threw his arms around him. You know in the story, the father represents God, don't you? You know that? And he throws his arms around a ceremonially unclean person. He's just broken the law of Moses right there. God just broke his own law. The Pharisees would be up in arms. But the word, the word, the word says this. God can't do that. He's unclean, unclean. This is revolutionary. I think this is probably why this is the best known piece of literature in human history, the prodigal son. I think it's probably the best known piece of literature in human history. I think this is the reason why. Because it communicates the heart of God clearer and more profound than maybe any other piece of teaching that, that we find. He throws his arms around and he kisses him. And, and the funny thing is, that the, thing that the, the, the point I guess that you have to try to embrace is that the Pharisees, the religious, right, the church people, whatever, however you want to describe them, were absolutely convinced they were right and they weren't bad people. They weren't people that didn't, they never set out to be bad people. It's just where religion takes you and it takes me. And dare I even say, it takes you. If we're not careful. The categories that we describe people with, oh, he's a church, non for this, this, believe, humble, whatever. And then we treat them a certain way because we've categorized them LBGTI, FSLP key. Who knows how many other letters we're going to come up with? We categorize them like that. And Jesus was saying to them right here, if you ever wondered why I came, 
If you ever wondered what was the motive that sucked me out of heaven and spat me here on the earth, then listen, because this was the reason. I came to find those who were not connected to the Father and connect them. People connected, communities transformed, you see. People disconnected, chaos is the result. This was the reason I came. This is why I am here on the earth. The son says to him in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. He'd rehearsed this. He'd, this little patter had gone over his mind time and time again. I'm not worthy to be called your son. He says, I did this on purpose. This was not an action. I didn't fall away. I walked away. I love the father doesn't respond to him at all. The father doesn't say, there, there, or you, right, or whatever. The father says to the servants, quick, bring the robe. I wouldn't have said that. I would have said slow. I would have said, let him prove himself. Let's see whether or not he's really saved. <laughs> Let's see whether or not he's really serious about this. But the father, this is crazy. Quick, he says, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He returns into the place that he had as a son in the house. He returns into his position of authority and respect and regard. He embraces him back to the position that he had before any of this behavior ever transpired. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now we get to the adjective. God uses adjectives. God has his groups. Do you want to know what God's groups are? God's groups are not right-wing, left-wing. God's groups are not labor, liberal, white, black, rich, poor, old, young. Here are the groups that God has, the adjectives that Jesus uses. Let's have a look at them. For my son, for this son of mine was dead and is now alive and that's it folks everybody in your street is either dead or alive everybody in this room is either dead or alive he doesn't see young old rich poor white black conservative progressive liberal labor he sees dead or alive and if you categorize people like that, if that person is dead and your love can bring them alive, if that person is dead and what you do for them can bring about their resurrection, doesn't that change your perspective? For this son of mine was dead and is alive, he was lost and now he's found. You see, his primary concern, Jesus' primary concern, is not for the found, it's for the lost. See, lady, you're here today, right? And right now, your purse is far from your mind. You're not thinking about your purse at all. But if you get home this afternoon, and you're going to go to the shop, you go to your bag, and your purse is in there, all of a sudden, your emotion starts to rise, right? <laughs> and then you look around your house, you pull your bedroom apart, and your purse still isn't there. Your emotion's coming up, 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 up. <laughs> you go to your car, you think, oh my goodness, what about that with my purse? Did I leave it at church? Where is my purse? Maybe whether I get a coffee on the way home, where have I left my purse? All of a sudden, now your purse is filling your heart and soul. Why? Because it's lost. There's something about lost that embraces your emotions. That's the message that Jesus is trying to communicate. Now, 
five minutes and, and I'm, I'm gone. But I've got something important to say on the basis of this. The gravitational pull of every church, this one included, and every church you've ever been to, is towards the paying customer. Always is. Towards those who know where to park their car, check their kids in, find their seat and get a coffee. We know where, we know where it all is. We were here last week. We'll, we'll be there next week. That's the gravitational pull of every church towards the paying customer because they come with their money, right? And you look after them because, you know, they're paying the bills. Let me tell you where we, draw the, we join the ranks of the Pharisees is when I value my preference over God's priority. I'm going to say that again because this is really important. We join the ranks of the Pharisees where we value my preference over God's priority. God's priority is the lost. And yet, church world is full of religious people. Oh, I'm going to do this, I don't like that, I don't like this. <laughs> Who have preferences. And I have a preference over this theological point of view. I have a preference over that theological point of view. Can I say that I struggle at the deepest level? Can I really say this? I struggle at the deepest level of my being and sometimes whack myself over the head when I see people who leave a church whose predisposition is towards the lost to go to a church that is just all about the found. But don't think about everything the way they do in the context of lostness. How do we affect lost people? How do we touch lost people? That doesn't even enter their heads. If you ever leave this church, and one day you probably will, can I say this? If you go to a church that is not concerned for lost people, that it's all about your preference and how it makes you feel, and you've got a happy, clappy little club where they, where they look after you and know your name, etc., etc., I'll be brokenhearted and think I've, I have not done my job well. Because somehow I haven't taught you what matters to God. And you think your preferences matter to God. Think about this for a minute will, with me, will you? You've got the kid in the back seat while you're trawling the streets looking for your child who's lost. And the kid in the back seat is saying, I don't like Vegemite, I want a jam. How does that make you feel as a father looking for their lost child? Yet we have people who leave churches who are focusing on lost people and find themselves in a church that's cut off from lost people because it strokes my preferences. And I think to myself, you don't know know what I really think to myself. I think to myself, do these people know Jesus? Where have they been for the last 35, 40, 50 years? Going to church for what reason? What happened? What went wrong? What did I do that is, did I do something wrong? This deeply disturbs me, church, deeply disturbs me when I see this happen. When Christians think this is about their preference over God's priority, we have lost our role of being Jesus in the earth. And it ain't happened on my watch, folks, not ever. Because the predisposition, it's easy, oh, but you know, this person's got the money, this person, no. It's not about the money, folks. It's about the lost. So, with that, impassioned plea. (laughs) Over the next three weeks, I want you to listen out for this, okay? I want you to listen. 
because we're moving into what is a really important time of year. I'm preaching this message for a specific reason. We're about to move into Christmas. Christmas, people are open to coming to church. There's something about following Jesus that makes you better at life, right? There's people whose lives are falling apart because Jesus hasn't, they haven't learned how to live because Jesus teaches us how to live. I'm going to take this Christmas message, I'm going to turn it into the most practical, down-to-earth form of living that you'll ever see in your life you won't want to miss the next few weeks but for crying out loud i'm going to ask you i'm going to i'm going to charge you this morning to do this if you hear someone say i'm not from around here i'm new to town say you need to come to my church if you hear someone say i'm i i was i'm not ready for that you know i got a phone call whatever happened whatever you say to them you need to come to my church if you hear people say something like this, oh, I, I'm, I'm not a church person. Oh, that, that's perfect. My church is perfect. You need to come to my church. <laughs> Three little knots. Tie them in your shoelace. Three little knots. I'm not from around here. I'm not a church person. I, I'm not ready for that. Because the next few weeks is potentially the most beneficial weeks of the year for the Christian church. We've got our Christmas play coming up next Sunday night, and Sunday night's all but sold out. You want to get your tickets? There's a few left for Sunday night. Monday, Tuesday, plenty. And uh, please just don't buy a ticket, because frankly, this is not about your entertainment. <laughs> it's about lost people. You know, I didn't really like that. Well, I don't really care. Because <laughs> it's not about you. <laughs> it's about lost people. And, and it's about the people who live next door. It's about, and, and really, we've got to buy tickets and, and give them to lost people and bring lost people and say, God, I want to hear a knot. I want to hear, a, I'm not from around here. Great, you need to come to our Christmas play. I'm not a church person. Oh, great, you need to come to our Christmas play. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready for that. You need to come to our Christmas play. You need to have your, your uh, umbrella, you need to have your, your, um, your ears open, your uh, antennas up. My biggest concern is that we move from his priority to the preference. Let me just, again, you know, don't take this too personally. <laughs> One of the reasons why I say, and you've heard me say this before, and the reason why we encourage you, come forward, come forward, come forward, don't sit at the back, come forward, come forward, come forward, come forward, come forward. Why is that? Because if a lost person comes, they don't want to sit on the front row. They don't want to sit there either. You wouldn't, would you? If you'd never been here, where would you want to sit? I want to sneak in the back. Too often there's no spare seats. Why is that? Because no one's thought of me. They were only thinking of themselves. They weren't thinking where I might like to sit. That's why we do it. We don't do it to inconvenience you. We don't do it to, you know, um, make somebody feel good. We do it because we understand that if a lost person comes in here see what we need to do folks is that we need to make a place where you can come and belong before you believe it's okay to come here and ask questions it's okay to come here and say i'm not sure about that they seem a bit strange but geez they're, they're friendly <laughs> it's got to be okay for that jesus had all kinds of people followed him who didn't believe what he believed didn't behave like he behaved but they followed him they were attracted to him and as they followed him things changed over time over time and we've got to be able to embrace people and give them the time to change and allow them to work things out in accordance with how the Holy Spirit moves in their life. Have you ever been rushing out to an appointment 
and you can't find your car keys. And your husband's sitting on the couch watching television. Your kid's got the fridge door open, you know, looking for a drink or something, or whatever. How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and you're thinking, won't somebody help me find my keys? <laughs> you're looking everywhere. You know, you're just pulling stuff apart and, and nobody else seems to care. <laughs> You know you've got to be there in 15 minutes and it's a 20-minute you know, drive and you're running late and it's a big appointment and you don't want to be late and, and, and it's all, and, and, and you're looking and, and everyone else is just... And you want to shake them. Sometimes. Let's not be that church. Let's stand and pray. Father, as we enter into this season of Christmas, this Advent, Jesus coming to the earth 2,000 years ago and as the society starts singing Christmas carols and attending churches and opening up to a message that many other times of the year they're either too busy or too closed off from. Father, help us be that inviting embracing church that makes your priority our priority in Jesus name Amen we're going to sing together thanks guys